This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. How do you react uh, when you face suffering? How do you react when you face suffering? I don't know about you, right? But my wife thinks that I'm a big sissy. Because, you know, I hate suffering. You know, uh, the moment I get any body aches, I want to go see the physiotherapist. Uh, I get stomach ache, I really want to take the pochai pills. Uh, you know, if I feel like I'm, my nose is really a bit sniffly, I, I think oh, I better start taking Panadol. I don't know, I think I'm coming down with the cold, right? Now, I don't know whether you're like that. Whether you are someone who runs away from suffering or is a stoic before suffering. But the natural human response is to hate suffering. We, we, we don't like suffering. Suffering is something that's uncomfortable, feels wrong to us. Now, the problem is that in the Christian life, there is suffering. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been going through the book of Romans. And really, if you want to break down Romans into just a few big parts or big ideas, it's, it's, it's like the good news and the bad news, right? It's the bad news and good news uh, of the gospel, right? So it begins uh, from the very beginning by talking about how every single human being, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, is accountable to God and faces God's wrath. Everybody's going to face God's judgment, right? That's the bad news. But the good news is uh, Jesus Christ comes through God's grace so that God's anger sort of gets redirected instead of coming to us, it gets redirected to God, uh, sorry, to Jesus, and therefore we are free from judgment if we have faith in Jesus Christ. Now over the last uh, few weeks, the idea then develops into what does the Holy Spirit do? And we were learning about how the Holy Spirit actually has a transforming power as Christians to help us to obey the law, to, to help us to do what God's will is. Uh, even though we not, might not follow it completely, but yet the Holy Spirit is working in us so that we are obedient and becoming more obedient to God. And last week we saw that the Holy Spirit also is kind of like gives us uh, a key to being part of God's family. Okay, a key of, to being part of God's family. But if you look at your Bibles, and you'll need your Bibles today, you'll notice that at the very last verse of last week's passage, chapter 8, verse 16, right? It says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share also in his glory. Now, if you look at the passage, it's a conditional passage. The condition is very clear. You have the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, you are part of the family of God. If you share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ, then you'll be an heir and a co-heir together with Christ to share in His glory. Now, what sort of suffering is the Bible talking about? What sort of suffering is uh, God thinking about here? Well, I think that from last week's passage, the suffering comes in two ways. Suffering 
for being a Christian in terms of fighting against together with the Holy Spirit and denying ourselves. So in chapter 8 verse 13 it says, For if you live according to the sinful nature you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So I think part of that is suffering, right? You know, you deny yourself. You fight against temptation. That is suffering. But in verse 17, if we share in the sufferings of Christ, I think it's the idea of suffering for being a Christian. Persecution, opposition, disapproval, insults. Now I think that those forms of suffering are very real for us in the Christian life. So I remember when I was in university, there was someone in my uh, Bible study which I was leading, and um, it sort of came out over time that he had these homosexual uh, attractions, homosexual attractions. So he was a Hong Kong guy, he was an architectural student, and, and, and for a few years he would be sharing of the Bible study, his struggles, about how he likes this person, this guy in his class, so on and so forth, and be saying, "Oh no, 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 no." We're saying, "No, you shouldn't, you shouldn't follow and indulge in your temptations." And and for about a year or two, he was fine. But then after a while, he stopped coming to Bible study, and I followed him up. And basically, he just said, "It's too hard, right? I don't want to suffer anymore. I and I want to give in to my temptations, give in to my 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 lusts, so to speak." And he actually gave himself hundred percent fully into the homosexual lifestyle. I know someone else <clears throat> who was from Thailand and uh, he became, uh, you know, he became a Christian. He wanted to be baptized as a Christian. But uh, before his baptism date, he uh, told me that he couldn't be baptized because his father in Thailand uh, was fiercely opposed to him uh, being a Christian and uh, really opposed to him being baptized. And so he wouldn't be baptized, but he promised me that he will always be Christian. But uh, in the end, he also gave up being a Christian. Now, those two forms of suffering are, I think, what uh, the Bible was talking about in the early part of chapter 8. Right? Suffering, if you, if you want to be co-heirs of Christ for the glory, you must suffer. Suffer in terms of temptation, suffer in terms of resisting temptation, and suffering for persecution and opposition. But how do we do that? How do we avoid being casualties like this Hong Kong student and this Thai person that I know? Well, chapter 8 verse 18 gives us a reason, right? And it begins by saying, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, if you actually look up here on the slide, you see that, uh, I think if you, for those of you who have the ESV Bible, you'll notice that in the ESV Bible, it begins with uh, for or because. Uh, so the NIV actually does us a disservice because it doesn't actually have the preposition for us. It doesn't link it back to verse 17. But actually verse 18 is linked back to verse 17 and tells us that we must suffer to share God's glory because the glory that's going to be revealed in us is not worth comparing to our suffering. Now, the idea basically is that you might suffer today, but when you finally get to heaven and you look backwards to your present life, you look and you think to yourself, hey, you know, my suffering compared to the glory I enjoy now in the resurrected body is nothing compared to the suffering experience. 
Now, <clears throat> I was trying to think about uh, a similar situation, right? So, often when I have a very bad stomach, you know, I, I always come back to stomach, right? My wife will say to me, Hey, you know, uh, your stomach is nothing compared to giving birth, right? You know, some, somehow she thinks that makes me feel better, right? But it doesn't, right? But I remember uh, when my wife gave birth to both my kids, uh, I was there in the hospital, and my wife was in great pain, great pain. Um, I think both times, my wife said, oh yes, I want to have the epidural now. And the doctor both times said, sorry, it's too late. Okay, so she suffered a lot. But I always remember, you know, after she gave birth, she didn't remember the pain so much anymore. Why? Because in a sense, having a child is, is, is kind of like, when you look back after having the child, you look back and you think, oh, okay, the pain was kind of like insignificant compared to what came as a result. Now, we often think about suffering, right? You know, like, so the World Cup soccer is coming up and I'm sure many people, you know, football players are training and suffering for the glory of the World Cup. But they may suffer, but they may not actually win the World Cup. In fact, only 11 of them will win the World Cup, right? I mean, the rest of them will all be losers, right? But what the Bible is saying here is that, if you look very carefully at verse 18, right? It is your present suffering is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So what Jesus is actually promising here, what God is promising is, your suffering will be, in a sense, rewarded with glory. Not if, or perhaps, or maybe, but there is a certain glory awaiting you if you are willing to suffer through persecution, through temptation, through hardship for Jesus Christ. The passage then keeps on going in verse 19. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Now, how great is the glory that awaits us? How marvelous the glory that awaits us? Well, it is so marvelous and magnificent because the whole of the created order itself is looking forward to you and I to receive our glory from God the Father. Because when we receive the glory of the new resurrection body, at that moment the whole of creation will be redeemed from its suffering, its futility and frustration. You see, look at what it says there in verse 20 and 21. It says, it says creation was subjected to frustration. Verse 21, creation itself is in bondage to decay. So what we are actually looking at here is that at the moment when we receive our glory, the whole of creation itself will be released from this bondage to decay. Now, God himself has put and subjected the whole of creator order to create, uh, to decay. In Genesis chapter 3, which is up here, 
It says, uh, to Adam, he said, because you listen to your wife, a from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Curse is the ground because of you. Through painful toil we eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For thus you are, and thus you will return. So what happens is when God subjected the world, the created order to frustration, He knew that it would not be a permanent situation, but that one day it would be liberated from this decay. So that's why it says there in verse 20, right? It says there in hope that the creation itself will be liberated. So God has put into the created world a hope that it itself will be redeemed from the bondage of decay and frustration. So I think that this uh, picture here is actually seen in um, in what it says there. For in verse 19, creation itself waits in eager expectation. So the picture here is actually one where it's almost like creation is on its tiptoes, looking forward to the day where we will receive our glory. So creation itself will be released from its bondage to decay. Now, not only is creation groaning under this weight of the fallenness of the world, but in verse 23, it goes on to say that we too are groaning in the same way. So in verse 22, it says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who are the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So why should we suffer? Why go through suffering? Because the glory that we're going to receive is great. But the suffering that we are suffering now, if you look at this passage, is a development on the idea of verse 17. Right? It is not just suffering as a Christian persecution, suffering as a Christian resisting sin, but we are groaning like creation. We are groaning under the weight of the fallenness of this world and the frustration and decay of this world. And that's why we look forward to the redemption of our bodies. Now, I look at all of you. Only Lucinda is older than me. Okay, Linda and Ronnie, right? So, as you get older, you recognize the decay and frustration of life. I mean, even when you're young, you also recognize the decay and frustration of your body, right? There is no pain. I mean, like, uh, I guess when you're younger, you have no pain, right? In a way, except for stomach. But, as you get older, there's more and more pain, right? Your knees hurt, your back hurts, you get sick more easily. Uh, you know, you're, 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 you're groaning away. I mean, like, you're literally groaning away under the fallenness of this world. You can take as much medicine as you want, you can take as many multivitamins, you can go to the gym, you can walk 20,000 steps, but your body is breaking down, you're living in a world 
which constantly frustrates you. People frustrate you. Uh, you know, the weather frustrates you. Other people frustrate you. You lose your friendships. People betray you. People are rude to you. It's just the world we live in. But as we groan, right, we look forward to the day where all of this will be redeemed, including our bodies. Our bodies will be redeemed and we will be adopted truly as sons of God and we will receive the redeemed, glorified body that God wants us to have. And that's why if you look at this passage, the phrase is, though we suffer now, we do not run away from suffering, but we wait patiently. We wait eagerly. Now, I think this is a very, very important theological point, right? Because it actually tells us that a lot of the preaching of the prosperity gospel is false. Because the prosperity gospel is saying that actually you have the new creation now, right? You are living the perfect heavenly body now. You have all the benefits of the redeemed body now. Perfect health perfect relationships, success in every way. But actually, the passage tells us that our attitude is the realistic attitude because we recognize the suffering in this world, but we wait eagerly, we wait patiently. The sad thing is, when you endorse the extreme, happy, clappy, victorious Christian life that some of the churches are promoting, right? is that it, it denies what the Bible is actually saying here. That you are looking forward to heaven. Because the prosperity gospel is actually taking heaven in the future and bringing it into the present. But we haven't, we're not living in, in heaven now. This is not the heavenly life. We're living in a world where there's real groaning. There's real suffering. There's real difficulty. I know that many of you have, uh, have, have you met my sister? My one of my sisters, she when she was born, she has so many genetic problems, right? So she's only about this high, right? One foot is about this much shorter than the other one, so she wears these heels. Then she, her hands are a bit now, and then she uses a a, a, a a walking implement to walk around. She went to some of these prosperity gospel churches, and she was very upset. She told me she went to the toilet to lock herself in there because. People were promising her things to her which are not real. Right? Because obviously if you go there and you're kind of like normal life, of course people can tell you life is very good, right? But if you're suffering and you go to this church, you walk out, you're still the same. Your, 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 your physical impediments are still the same. You're still suffering. You're still groaning under the weight of a fallen world. So in that sense, we are looking forward to redemption just as my sister is. <clears throat> if you look at this passage, the reason we are able to is because we have the first fruits of the Spirit in us. So because we have the Holy Spirit in us, the first fruit of the Spirit is actually Jesus Christ. He is the first one to have the redeemed body. But because we are His family, we are co-heirs with Him, we too will receive this redeemed body. So in verse 11, is it up here? don't know what I have it up here. Oh yes, okay. It says, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, 
He who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. You see, in the ancient world, what they used to do was, in the sacrificial system in Israel, they would bring the first fruit. So I don't know why you're making like apples, oranges, but obviously they don't apple oranges in the Middle East. Dates or something, right? And then you bring dates or whatever, and the first fruits that are come out of the field, you bring it and sacrifice it to God. And the first fruits are like a symbol of all your future harvest for that season. So Jesus Christ, in a sense, is like our first fruit. He is the symbol by which we who have the Holy Spirit will receive all, will receive everlasting life and a redeemed body just like Jesus Christ. But that's not all, right? Because God goes on to keep encouraging us in verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So if you notice up here in the slide, right? It says, in the same way. Strange thing to say. Why in the same way? In the same way that the glorious future encourages us to keep going through suffering, in the same way that we know that creation is looking forward to this glory, so in the same way the Holy Spirit is encouraging us through suffering. Uh, The way that does this is that the Holy Spirit is kind of like interceding for us. With God. So you know when you're suffering. Sometimes you don't know what to pray for, right? Sometimes it's just too painful. Sometimes you don't even know whether it's God's will for you to suffer this way. But, but we shouldn't worry that we didn't know what to pray for. We shouldn't worry that we didn't pray. Because in a sense that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us of God. And because the Holy Spirit is God Himself. So, The Holy Spirit knows what to intercede for us and what we need. So the Holy Spirit is not just giving us the first fruits of the redeemed body, but the Holy Spirit is encouraging us, supporting us, strengthening us through our suffering. Now, the passage here is not speaking about speaking in tongues, right? Some people think, oh, you know, the groaning is like speaking in tongues. But that's not the case because... Speaking in tongues is a gift for a few. So it cannot mean that only those few have the Holy Spirit helping them through their suffering. This is a promise for all Christians. All Christians have the Holy Spirit which is interceding for them with God, giving you strength in your time of suffering. But here now is what is uh, one of those popular quotes right, in, uh, in the Bible. I'll tell you why. In verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. Somehow, 
this sermon seems to always come back to my toilet, right? Because in verse 28, I have this quote in my toilet, right? We know that all things God works for those who love Him, who be called according to His purpose, right? And sometimes when we read this verse, we, we mistakenly think that, that God is going to give us all good things. But that doesn't actually work out, right? Because it actually goes on to say that the good that God is working on in our lives is for us actually, uh, if you look at this passage, it's not up there, right? But it's for us to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Right? That God is working out in our lives, even through our suffering, good because we are becoming more and more like Christ. You see, part of the problem when we suffer is that we think that God is out of control. We think that God is a distant God or God is some clockmaker God where you know He set the world and it's just sort of spinning by itself. But this passage is actually telling us that even our suffering, God is working good for those who love Him to predestine us to be like His Son, to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. And the reason why we know this is because God has been, has been in control of everything in our life from the very beginning to the end. Now, this is called the golden chain, okay? And what it says is, for the one that God foreknew, now, it doesn't mean that God knew that you were going to choose Jesus. When it says that God foreknew you, it meant that God knows and He predestines what you are going to do. It is not like, oh, uh, okay, let me pick on somebody. It's not like God knew that Andrew Leong was going to accept Jesus Christ at a certain date. It is more that God Himself foreknows something. He actually predestines for something to happen. And that's why it goes on to say that those He foreknows, He predestines, that means He he, he, he determines your destiny. You don't choose your destiny. God de- determines your destiny for you. And because He knows your destiny, He calls you. Now, the thing with God's calling is there's no RSVP. You know, it's usually like, you know, when people invite you to their wedding, right? Or they're, you know, it's like, can you please RSVP whether you're coming? No. When God calls you, there's an irresistible call. When God calls you, hey, uh, Yu Leong, right? Or, hey, uh, Frank, or, hey, you know, uh, Ming Fei. It, it is an irresistible call for, for, for you to come. And then it goes on, and when God calls you, you are justified. And when you're justified, you're glorified. But you notice something strange? When does glorification happen, according to this passage? When does it happen? Has it happened already? Are we glorified? No, right? We're still human. We're still fallen. But you notice the tense of the word. He doesn't say He will glorify you. He says, you have been glorified. 
You see, when God determines something, it is so certain that he can speak of it in the past tense. Right? It's like, when I say to you, hey, tomorrow, let's go and watch the Black Panther, right? That's in the future, right? I can't say to you, hey, we have watched the Black Panther, right? Because that's, that's still something in the future. But in God's, God's sovereignty, he's so sovereign of everything, that when he says something is going to happen, even if it hasn't happened, it's so certain that he speaks of it in the past tense. So what this passage is trying to say is, because God is in control of everything, that nothing, even the, remember the other passages, even the hair on your head doesn't fall to the ground without being in control of it. So he's saying, even in your suffering, he is in control of it. And the reason why he's doing it is so that you'll be conformed to the person of Jesus Christ. And for that purpose, as you become more and more conformed to Jesus Christ, it is part of the process of glorification. That as you become more and more like Jesus and suffering and persevering, you will eventually be glorified as part of God's plan. Now, as uh, we look at this passage, what is very important here is to then realize that there's nothing wrong with Christian suffering. You know, sometimes, unfortunately, we hear things like, oh, uh, very tragic stories where someone is sick. And then people will say, oh, um, maybe God is judging you. Right? Or maybe someone, some great misfortune has happened to someone and, and we sort of feel like, oh, God is judging that person for some reason. But that's not necessarily true, right? Because actually, Suffering, as we look at this passage, may be part of God's plan for you to suffer and grow in Christ, and is part of His control so that you will lead to glorification. Because part of the suffering, the unnecessary suffering that comes, can come from other people who wrongly make you doubt your faith. But this passage is actually saying is don't doubt your faith, trust in God's sovereignty. That even in your suffering, God is in control of your suffering. This suffering is not outside of God's control. It is part of God's control. Okay, now we come to the last point, right? The last part. And here, God gives three reasons why we can never lose uh, our hope, our salvation. So in verse 31, he says, uh, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So this uh, first section is like assurance from a generosity point of view. It's a bit like, um, okay, uh, I give to Ashley uh, one million dollars, right? Okay, let's say I give him one million dollars. Uh, and I give him one million dollars uh, maybe every year for the last four years. Now, if that's true, obviously it's not, alright? Then if he then came and asked me for like a hundred bucks, would I say no? Now that doesn't make sense, right? Because if I've already given him so much, overwhelmingly, right? Like, 
hitting the, the beyond the bounds of generosity, why would I, I then deny him a little bit, uh, something so much less? And that's what this passage is saying here, right? If If God has already given his very own son to die on the cross for you and pay for your sins, why would he then not give you glorification? Why will he not give you heaven when he's already paid the ultimate by giving his son Jesus? So don't fear suffering, right? Your your future is safe. Then he goes on to verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. Oh, have I gone too far? Mm, no, okay, I've gone too far. No, no, up to 34, that's right. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So what it's saying here is from a, so the first one is from a generosity point of view. The second one is from a legal point of view, right? He's saying, who is going to bring a charge against you when Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and is standing at God's right side interceding for you? He's like you're his advocate, right? So the first part is, Jesus Christ died for you. How much more will God give you? Second part is, Jesus Christ died, but he's now risen, sitting by God's right hand saying, this person is not guilty. Right. So, if Jesus is there, then on the last day when you stand before God, yes, you are guilty. But Jesus will point to you and say, this person, right? Uh, say, Crystal, this person is not guilty because I died for her. I'm advocating for her. I have paid for her crime. And therefore, who is going to bring any charge against Crystal? Because Jesus Christ himself is the advocate. Jesus Christ is already there by God's side, promising that this person can be set free. Now the last part is from a relationship point of view, right? The love of God. So in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Known all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, you notice here that God uses like endless lists of superlatives, right? So, famine, trouble, hardship, these are like normal daily hardships, right, of the ancient world. Persecution, nakedness, danger, sword. This is like Christian opposition. Uh... Height, depth, it's like in the physical world, right? Is there distance which can separate us from the love of God? The present and the future, is there distance in time? Uh, spiritual power, angels or demons, death or life. See, none of these things can separate us from the love of God. You know, sometimes, you know, 
you watch these uh, uh, like science fiction movies and like uh, somehow somebody died so they've got to go back in time, you know, to find their loved one or go into the future or things like that. Or, you know, uh, people love each other but one person is here, another person is over there. So then there are all these obstacles to love, right? But in this passage, God is saying that nothing can separate you from His love found in Jesus. Not time, not space, not wars, not famine, not persecution. Even life and death cannot separate you from the love of God found in Jesus Christ. So if that's the case, you, you shouldn't fear anything that the world can throw at you. You shouldn't fear any of the suffering that the world can throw at you because nothing that the world can do to you can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Because there's there's no distance, there's no height, there's no time, there's no suffering that can take away the love of Christ, the love of God found in Jesus Christ. So in this sense, the last part really is such a marvelous passage because it actually teaches us not to fear anything the world can do to you. What can the world do to you? It can take away everything, the shirt on your back, your life. But it can't take away the love of God because in Jesus, you still have that. And in Jesus, you are still promised the glory and the redeemed body to come that even the whole of creation is looking forward to. So in conclusion, uh, John Wesley uh, once boasted, and I think also uh, during the persecutions in the Roman times, people people would always say, look at how the Christians die. Because the Christians didn't die like other people. The reason why the Christians didn't die like other people is because we are able to understand that there is a certain assurance of a new body, glory and the love of God that can never be lost. So in that sense, you must be willing to go through suffering for Jesus Christ. Whether it means suffering because you're resisting sin, suffering because of the persecution of this world, suffering because of the fallenness of this world, but at the end it doesn't matter. It is just light, momentary trouble to the great glory you receive, the love of God that you'll be realized when you truly become a, a son or daughter of God at the last day. So I hope that as you read this passage, it will really encourage you in whatever suffering or hardship that you're going through, to realize that this is just nothing. It's like a mosquito bite, right? In the whole scheme of things. Uh, I know that that's what they always tell you before they give you injection, right? But actually, it's really like a mosquito bite, right? Okay, It's like a mosquito bite in the context of the glory that you receive. And I hope that this passage really encourages you to keep trusting in Jesus and knowing that in Jesus, you never lose the love of God and you always have that glory, which is a certain glory that God has promised us. Okay, so let's go to God in prayer. Okay, dear Father, as we come before you today, uh, we really pray that suffering is a reality in this world and the life we live in. The longer we live, the more certain it is that we will suffer. We suffer when we resist sin. We suffer when we face persecution. We suffer just in living in this world. Uh, the, the, the aches and pains and, or, and the disappointments of life as we get older, uh, the physical suffering, the emotional suffering, 
the relational suffering that we experience in bad relationships, uh, the disappointments when uh, life and dreams let us down. But help us to see that in Jesus Christ, we will look forward to a much greater glory where this fallen world will be completely gone and past us and we will have a glorious inheritance in a new world where there will be no more suffering, where we will receive a redeemed body. And help us to see that the love that you've given us as our Father will never be lost as long as we remain in Jesus Christ. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.